This morning we're going to continue our studies in the book of Leviticus. This is the next to the last sermon. Next week should be, uh, we'll, we'll close the book for a while. And uh, I thought everybody would cheer, but anyway. Um, uh, we're going to talk about Leviticus chapter 26. And uh, essentially, uh, there is uh, one very important point that we're going to be talking about today, and that is listen to him. Um, I guess you guys are going to have to change it for me. Let's go ahead and move on to the next slide, please. Anyway, we want to very briefly just uh, say that I want to remind you that the book of Leviticus is all about a holy God coming to live among sinful people. And so all those rules and regulations and all the sacrifices and all the stuff that we covered in the book of Leviticus, uh, don't forget that this is the gist of it. This is the most important, the most significant part to remember about Leviticus. It's teaching people who are sinful how to live with a God who is holy. And uh, then, of course, on the first Sunday of this year, uh, Luke gave a sermon on living wisely in 2024. And so uh, what we're going to be talking about today in Leviticus chapter 26 uh, falls right under uh, these two uh, themes uh, that, that we've just mentioned. Uh, so let's, let's uh, go, go ahead. I want to warn you, if you've already read Leviticus chapter 26, you're probably like I was. Uh, I was somewhat disturbed. It's a very disturbing passage of Scripture. It's a, a, in some sense, it's a very frightening passage of Scripture. It's a passage of Scripture that uh, causes you to kind of step back and, and say, whoa, uh, makes you stop and think uh, about God and about how God feels towards sin and rebellion and evil and idolatry and uh, all those kinds of things. Uh, you learn right quickly God takes sin very, very seriously whether or not you do or I do. God takes it very seriously. But I also want to remind you that within a biblical literature, there are many literary devices that are used. I've just mentioned a few of them there. And you cannot fully understand Scripture if you're not aware of these kinds of things. Uh, for example, some of the Word of God is poetry. Uh, there are some things that are uh, repetition, hyperbole, metaphor, simile, symbolism, personification, allegory. There's a couple that I can't hardly even uh, pronounce, uh, Hindiades or Hindiades, or however you say that. Uh, there's metonymy. Uh, there's all kinds of, of things like this. Uh, the Bible uses all of these literary devices, and some of these devices are used in Leviticus chapter 26, and we need, we need to be aware of that. So let's move on. The gist of Leviticus 26 is keep my commandments keep my commandments three times he says if you walk by my rules well right there's a literary device he, he's not literally saying 
the rules are sitting there and you walk by them. That's, that's not the point. I think you get that. Uh, the word walk is used metaphorically to refer to the way you live your life. Okay? In other words, he's talking about living according to God's guidance, his directions, his instructions, his commands, his rules, however you want to say it. Living according to the will of God, in the flow of God's will. But then God says, if you do not listen to me, I will walk contrary to you. And metaphorically, there is a sense in which the, there's some literal truth to that. It's like God will walk away. Yeah. So I want you to think about this. We have then a list of blessings and a list of curses. And so God is saying, essentially, if you will listen to me, if you will obey me, your life can go really, really well. But if you ignore me, if you reject me, if you despise me, if you don't want me in your life, okay, I'll give it to you. But it's not going to go well. A life without God is not a good life. A life with God is full of blessing. A life without God is full of trouble, full of curses. Let's go to the next one, please. This is just a summary, okay? There's a lot more blessings listed. There's a lot more curses listed. But I did not think that you wanted me to go into detail of all 40 verses in Leviticus 26. So, in summary, God's going to send lots of rain on the, the land. You're going to have bountiful harvests. Everything that you need is going to be provided, and it's going to go well with you. Things are going to go well with you. Hey, that's great. You're going to be safe. But I want you to look at the uh, curses. They really are the opposite of the blessings. So whatever you read here as blessings, by walking in God's will, pretty much the opposite is going to be true if you reject God. For example, uh, instead of a bountiful harvest... You're going to plant, you're going to do all the hard work that a farmer does in planting crops, but your crops aren't going to make. Th things are going to happen. Maybe a drought. In some places in Texas, the, the feral hogs, they destroy crops. There's all kinds of things that can happen, but you, you're not going to reap the benefit of your work. Instead of provision and well-being, disease, panic, hunger, these things are specifically mentioned. Instead of your family being safe, your possessions being safe, I'll protect you from wild animals, I'll protect you from your enemies. Instead of that, if you don't want God in your life, you're going to be filled with fear and dread your women and children are not going to be safe. Bad things are going to happen to them. Wild beasts will attack you and devour you. 
Your enemies will destroy you. And those of you that live, you're going to be taken captive by your enemies. That's some serious stuff there. That ought to get your attention. You know, it did not get their attention very well. They ignored this. They didn't listen to this, generally speaking. And history bears out that pretty much all of these bad things, all of these curses that God said, this is the kind of thing that can happen, it might happen, and so it did happen in many cases. So let's move on. Before he gets into the curses, after he lists the blessings, he says, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul will not abhor you. It's interesting that he says, my soul will not abhor you. That's a pretty strong word, isn't it? To abhor someone. But the reason he uses that is because earlier when he talks about if they reject him, if they don't walk according to his will, he says, if you abhor my rules you see it, it's not just that the, in some cases that the people didn't pay attention it's that the people did not want what God said they didn't want to live according to his rules they didn't want his commands they didn't want God's word in their life and I will walk among you and, you, and I will be your God. You shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. He is just simply reminding them, this is what I did for you. Will you remember where you were? Will you remember what you were? Will you remember the misery, the slavery, all the terrible, horrible things that you went through, and I saved you from all of that. And now you don't care about what I have to say? Now you don't want me in your life after everything that I've done? Next slide, please. Then at the end of the chapter, he says, But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. And so even after all of those horrible things that God said might happen to them, could happen to them, and in some cases would happen to them. Even so, even after they rejected God, even if they hated God, even if they didn't want God in their life, they ignored him, they rebelled against him, God told them, all you have to do is turn back to me. All you have to do is return. All you have to do is repent. All you have to do is want me. God wanted them. He wanted them. And you might say, well, how could God do all of these terrible things to the people that he loved, to his children, the people he wanted? You're missing the point here. The point is they did not want God. And so God said, okay, live your life without me. But you see, there are consequences to our actions. 
There are bad things that can happen when you choose the wrong way, when you choose the wrong path. You know this. We all know this because we have all made bad choices. We have all suffered consequences of some of our choices. We make foolish choices. We do bad things, and we have to pay for it. Next slide, please. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbaths. You know when he sent them off into captivity? Remember last week Josh talked about the Jubilee and how they never kept the Jubilee? They never let the land rest. They never obeyed God. They ignored the Sabbaths. Remember that? Just last week Josh talked about that. So God says the land's going to get rest because I'm going to take you out of it. The land will get her rest. It was God's will that the land got its rest. And God gave it rest. I hope you paid attention to the reading in Hebrews 12 about God disciplining his children. Did you catch that? Well, you see why we read that passage. is because it fits with the fact that sometimes God disciplines his rebellious children wayward children you only discipline a child if you care for the child if you never discipline a child if you let them have their own way and go their own way and do whatever they want to do you never tell them any instructions if you never tell them yes or no about things if you never teach them anything if you never correct them, if you don't guide them and lead them and show them the way, if you don't encourage them, if you don't help them, then how can you say you love that child? How can you say that? Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them. Neither will I abhor them as, so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God, I am the Lord. Next slide, please. So let's think about listening. Listening to God. In Proverbs, Proverbs is the book of wisdom. It is a poetic book, and it's named because of the literary device. That's what a proverb is. It is, it is a, a literary device. It is a style of writing, and it is called wisdom poetry. And so most Bible scholars believe that in some sense, when wisdom is personified in Scripture, in other words, it's almost like wisdom, the entity of wisdom is a person and speaks as a person and feels as a person. So many people feel like that wisdom here in Scripture is actually the pre-incarnate Jesus. So I want you to think about as if this is Jesus talking. Because I have called you and, refu and you refuse to listen, stretched out my hand 
and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a, a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me. But I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Next slide, please. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, despised my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. You, you, you hear what he's saying? You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to reap what you really want. You don't want God in your life. Okay, I won't be in your life. If that's what you really want, that's what he's telling them. And folks, that is true today. If you don't want God in your life, God's not going to overpower you. He's not going to force you. He's giving you free will. You can choose him. You can choose to love him. You can choose to hate him. You can choose to want him. You can choose not to want him. But if you choose not to want God in your life, if that's what you really want, he'll let you do that. Go ahead. Here you go. Have at it. See how that works for you. That's what God will do. And that's what this is telling us. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster. Next slide, please. You see, here's the thing, folks. We've all had trouble in our lives. We've all had things go bad. We've all had things go wrong. Not always, but many times it's a result of our foolish choices. We know what it's like to mess up our lives. We know what it's like to make bad decisions, bad choices, and we've, many of us have lived to regret those. If we could turn back the clock and have it all to do over again, uh, we, we would like to think that we would do things differently, that we would do things better. But you see, the truth, the truth is God loves us. He wants us. He desires us. But if we don't want him, he will let us go that path. And we will suffer the consequences. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Jeremiah 6, 10, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. How do you feel about God's word? Oh, I wish the Bible wouldn't have said that. How do you feel about what God teaches? How do you feel about his instruction? How do you feel about his guidance? How do you feel about the word of the almighty God? 
Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people. The fruit of their devices, there it is again, the fruit of their devices. Because they have not paid attention to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it. Now you can sit back and, and, and want to blame God and think bad thoughts about God and why would God this and why would God that and I can't believe God this and God that. But I'm telling you, you got to read the text. you got to listen and think about what is he saying. What he is saying is this is your choice. This is what you have brought on yourself. God did not take you into that liquor store. He didn't cause you to buy that bottle of vodka. He didn't cause you to get drunk. He didn't make you drink and drive. He did not make you cheat on your spouse. He did not make you. He did not cause you to sin. God does not do that. We make choices. We sin, and then we get mad because there's consequences just doesn't work that way folks and don't say God has left me God has rejected me God doesn't love me anymore no that's the talk of a fool that's what that is we need the self-realization of how wicked we really are And how bad sin really is. And how grateful we should be that God loved us anyway. And he sent his son to die for us. Next slide, please. So what about some of the people in the Bible who didn't listen to God? Pharaoh. There's a prime example. What happened to Pharaoh? Well, a lot of bad things happened to Pharaoh, but probably the worst thing that happened to Pharaoh was he lost his firstborn son because he didn't listen to God. King Saul lost his throne and then his life. Committed suicide before his enemies killed him. Israel many times refused to listen to God. And story after story in the Old Testament bears that out and all the terrible things that happened to them because Jonah winds up in the fish's belly. Cain became a paranoid fugitive. Solomon's heart was turned away from God and it ultimately resulted in the dividing of the kingdom and ten tribes essentially being lost out of the twelve. And you are probably thinking of a lot of other people in the Bible Many, many examples, people that you could think of that did not listen to God and what happened to them. Next slide, please. Oh, this is going to be tough. <laughs> Matthew 17, 5. When Jesus was on the mountain of transfiguration, a beautiful passage there, an amazing scene. Moses, Elijah, they appear with Jesus. And Jesus is glorified. And Peter, James, and John are watching all of this. And then God speaks to them out of this cloud. And with Moses there and Elijah there, representing the law and the prophets, and Jesus there, God says, this is my 
beloved son. This is the son, my chosen son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Folks, there are many voices in this world. You hear it on the news. There are many voices speaking to you. The school system, the corporate system, social media. We could go on and on and on and on of the voices that we all hear, the voices that are all coming at us. We hear this. We hear that. We hear the next thing. Uh, sometimes it's family members. Sometimes it's friends. Sometimes it's just the world. Sometimes it's Satan himself. All kinds of voices. Who are you going to listen to? Who will you listen to? God Almighty said, listen to my son. That's who you listen to. John 10, 16. I have other sheep that are not of this field, or fold, <laughs> sorry. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Acts 3, 22 and 23, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up to you a prophet like me uh, from your brothers. You will listen to him and whatever he tells you. 1 John 4, 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Next slide, please. Listen. Listen to God. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says the same thing in Mark 4, 23. The very next verse says, pay attention to what you hear. I can remember a number of times when I was a kid, a child, my dad would give me a very stern look and in a stern voice, he would say, boy, you pay attention to what I'm telling you. And I did. I did. Pay attention. You know, sometimes we don't pay much attention to things. Sometimes we're oblivious to things. There are times we better pay attention. You know, when I'm driving a car and I don't see a car in my blind spot, just because I don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Just because I don't understand the situation doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not in a dangerous situation. Because it's real. It's there. I just don't get it. I don't see it. I'm unaware of it. Sometimes somebody tells a joke, and when they hit the punchline, everybody in the room laughs. I don't laugh because it goes right over my head. I don't get it. I don't get it. A lot of things like that happen. We don't understand. We don't get it. We don't understand what's going on. We may be in a conversation with somebody, and for the life of me, I don't understand why in the world Becky said what she said. Well, the reason why is because I don't know the backstory. I don't know what happened. I don't get it. We, you know, you know the commercials on TV now about he gets us? Y'all see those commercials about Jesus? He gets us? Well, that is so true. But I'm going to tell you something. We better get him. We better get him. We better pay attention and we better listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has the truth. He 
is the truth. He is the Word. He is our everything. Listen to Jesus. It makes all the difference in the kind of life that you're going to have. It makes all the difference in the world. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. We need his instruction. We need his teaching. We need his example. We need what he says. Without him, we are miserably lost. Without him, we make a mess of everything. We make a mess of our life. We need Jesus. Listen to him. Listen. Now, there's some, there's some parts of Leviticus 26 that were so easy that I asked Luke if he had to talk about them. So if you'll come on up, uh, there are some definitely some hard questions raised as you read Luke, uh, Leviticus 26, and uh, Luke's going to talk about that. So uh, I'm going to try to keep my comments brief this morning, but this week is uh, Brother Terry and I were in my office talking through this passage. He, like he said, he asked me if I would just make a few comments about the judgment issue. And this really isn't just for Leviticus 26. This is for other places in the scriptures where God is presented coming with what appears to us as a harsh judgment. And um, so, so you guys know if you've been around here very long, that one of the things that's central to, to my preaching that I believe is really, really important, that's that we proclaim the goodness of God and the kindness of God. And I think that's actually the message we need to receive, and that's the message that will, will lead us into the life that God wants us to live, is, is understanding and embracing the goodness of God. And we, uh, Brother Terry had the the passage uh, related to the shepherd, uh, uh, Jesus being a shepherd or something like that on the, on the PowerPoint just a minute ago. We talk about the gentle shepherd. He knows, his, he knows his sheep by name and calls them by name. And then you read things in the Old Testament, and it's, it says something like, and I'm going to tear you to pieces. <laughs> and it doesn't seem to fit. Something seems to be off there, and it confuses us. So we want to just say a few words uh, about uh, the difficulty here with these passages. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to try to be brief with this. Take this as uh, me asking some questions. I am not the definitive answer on this, and I'm not presenting this as the final word. These are things that I'm working through, but I believe there has to be a way to, to reconcile this tension where we come out on the other side believing in the God revealed in Jesus Christ and, and seeing his goodness and kindness. So the first thing I would say uh, along these lines is that uh, when we read passages like Leviticus 26 that, that talk about God's judgment, is we, should, we should remember that punishing sin is not in itself wrong, and it's not immoral. And there is a big difference in the uh, punishment of a sin and the random infliction of pain on someone. And everybody knows that, whether you're talking about children or sending somebody to jail or, or whatever. We recognize there is a difference in somebody having done something wrong and then receiving punishment for that. And somebody who's just random, you know, randomly sending somebody to jail or unjustly sending somebody to jail, that's very, very bad. 
But most people would say, well, if, if somebody has done some bad things, then punishment can be justified, and we wouldn't say that's necessarily wrong. That's just a starting place to back off and say not everything in Scripture that talks about punishment should be viewed as some kind of wickedness because we all know in our ordinary lives we don't think of it that way. We're okay with a degree of punishment fitting with goodness. In fact, we would say that sometimes it's necessary in order to be good that a ruler or a judge is willing to exercise some kind of punishment. So that, that's just a place to, to get some perspective. And I'm going to try to move quickly through these points here. Questions to ask, okay? The first question I would say, is punishment ever justified? And the clear answer is yes. Another question to ask, whenever we read about God's punishment of sin, we want to say, what are his purposes? What are the purposes of God when he deals with sin? And is it possible that God chooses to punish for the purpose of bringing about his universal plan of redemption. So you can look at passages. I'm sure we could find uh, passages in the Scripture that talk about nations being punished for their great wickedness, right? But then I imagine we could find some nations in history that were just as wicked as those nations who were not punished. What should we conclude from that? That God is unfair? Well, no, the wickedness of those nations deserved the punishment they received. When you read about nations doing things like sacrificing children, for example, and God utterly hates it, they're offering children on, an, on a sacrificial altar to idols. You know, they deserve the punishment when they're doing things like that, right? But then why don't other nations receive the punishment? Well, maybe, again, I'm throwing out questions here, but maybe we should conclude from that that God isn't eager to punish. And maybe God chooses to punish nations, to wipe out nations, when it serves the purpose of his universal plan. So that he can further redemption. So that he can further bring about people coming to know him and his good purposes for the world. If you read Leviticus 26, uh, the, the passage we've been talking about today, I'm not going to take the time to, to do it, but you'll see that multiple times throughout that passage, the, the Scripture says, But if you will not listen to me, but if you will not turn to me, over and over God says that to the people. The purpose of these punishments is to get their attention and say, Listen to me. I want you to follow me. Another thing we should, we should ask as we uh, approach passages like this in the Old Testament is what are, what are the cultural expectations of the people? And what might be the limitations upon God to communicate to a people within a certain culture? If the, if the culture, if the entire culture expects that fairness and help and God's faithfulness looks like military action, if it looks like military assistance in some way, can God really communicate his faithfulness to his people without something like that? Another question to ask when you read these passages is what is rhetorical exaggeration? To what extent is, is, are the words used not really reflective of the exact reality? Are there, being, are there, are there terms and, and numbers that are being used to express uh, things kind of in an inflated sense, a hyperbolic hyperbolic expression uh, that's not necessarily exactly what's going on. These are helps, okay? And I know we're, going, we're running through a lot here, but these are helps to approach passages that are difficult like that. I, what I want to uh, really focus a little bit more on, this relates to what Brother Terry was just talking about, and that is when you look at these passages, 
these judgment passages. We should ask, what is really the action of God? What is God really doing in judgment? And is he really actively attacking and destroying? Or is he, in some sense, withdrawing from people who have basically said, please leave us alone? And this, this is uh, overlapping. Brother Terry was not making a fine distinction, but it was implied somewhat in what he was saying a minute ago between uh, punishment and consequences. Because there can be a fine line between active punishment and people receiving consequences for their activity over time. Sin will ruin your life, and God doesn't have to send a, an angel to make that happen. <laughs> right? So I want you to listen to what uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 19. This is him uh, looking at the city of Jerusalem, talking about the city of Jerusalem. And when he, this is, chapter, this is uh, 19 verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. That's the first thing I want you to notice about Jesus' attitude towards Jerusalem. This is Jerusalem, the people of God that we've just been reading about in Leviticus 26. They're the people who deserve punishment, right? They're the people that are, are the heirs of these, these messages that you will be wiped out if you do bad things. Right? Here's what Jesus does. He weeps. He cries for these people. He doesn't fly off the handle in a rage and say, you've done it, now I'm ready to get you. And this is the clearest expression we have of the heart of God. And he's weeping. He wept over it saying, would that even you, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, right? It's going to be utterly, utterly destroyed, right? But he's crying, and he's saying, I wish you knew. I wish you could receive the message that would save you from this. That's what Jesus wants. It doesn't sound like he's saying, I'm going to send somebody because I'm fed up with you. You see, now, here's the thing, and this is sent to a deeper discussion that I hesitate even to mention because I'm still working out what I think about all of it, but... When you understand things like the, what, what Bible scholars would talk about progressive revelation, like, there were some things in the Old Testament that were not yet fully revealed to them. It's not that what they're saying is entirely untrue. It's just that when we have the fuller revelation, we have to filter that through the fuller revelation that's given to us. Because God has not revealed everything all at once. He's revealed himself progressively. And so we have an understanding that, that comes to us most fully in Jesus Christ and in the revelation that comes from him afterwards in the New Testament. They didn't have that in Leviticus 26. 
And I want to say to you that they did not yet know the tenderness of God. They still had learning to do. It doesn't mean we just dismiss those scriptures and say, well, they're not there. We shouldn't pay attention to them. It just means part of it, this is, a, this is a hermeneutical discussion. This is how you approach the Bible and understand it. Part of understanding those scriptures and applying those scriptures, we take them with the whole of the Bible. And then we, we filter them through this lens that's given to us by Jesus. And we come out with an understanding of them. Yes, God, God's judgment is real. But it may not be exactly the way they thought it was. It may not come to us in those same kind of terms. I mean, the, the clearest way to, to talk about this, almost everybody gets this when you, when you think about the psalm. I don't know what number it is, but the psalm that says, uh, talks about uh, the, the Israelites saying, slam their babies against the rocks. This is like uh, the, the writer of the psalms asking that this would happen. That we can take their babies and slam them against the rocks. And I don't know of any Christian, no matter how much they want to respect the Bible, I don't know of any Christian who says, yeah, that's, that's a good prayer. <laughs> I think I'm going to pray that one when I'm really mad. <laughs> no, you can't pray that after you know Jesus. Right? Now, that doesn't mean we kick it out of the Bible or cut it out of the Bible. We can take it and understand it. We can filter it through the eyes of Jesus and say, what's it, what's it saying? Well, it may be reflecting a real cry for justice, and that's a good thing. It may be a real cry for God to do something, to rectify the situation. It may be a, a given to us so that we can see the heart of pain that comes from someone who had watched his children bashed against the rocks, right? And we can receive that text in that way, but we don't take it as the final word of God's heart. Saying, yeah, God would really like for all our enemies to have their babies crashed against the rocks. Because Jesus is our fullest revelation. You get the same kind of thing going on in Romans chapter 1. Where Paul says the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. And if you're reading that, thinking of Leviticus 26, you might expect it next to say, so God's sending this and God's sending that. But if you follow that text down through, what's it say? It says that even though they knew God, they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. So God gave them up. And that's at least part of the wrath of God being revealed. It seems to be in Romans chapter 1 that God, God gave them up to receive the consequences of their actions. See the, the difference in the, the punishment and the consequences? And so we can take, again, this is a possible way to come at these things. I'm not trying to be the final word. But it's possible that some of these, these scary and, and harsh texts in the Old Testament that disturb us are dramatic presentations or still developing understandings of judgment that get further clarity as the scriptural narrative proceeds. What we always want to do when we come to passages like that is think, uh, is to remember that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of the heart of God. And so we don't believe bad things about God. And when you read something like that, we don't dismiss the Bible, okay? But when we come to something that seems to really not fit with what we know about Jesus, we just say, Jesus, I don't know what to do with this. This doesn't really seem to be like you here in this passage. And so you help me to understand, and I'm going to keep seeking to understand. Um, 
And uh, as I go forward, uh, I'm going to try to understand this in line with your heart. And then we give that over to him, and we just continue to come back and seek, and seek his understanding of those kind of things. But don't let it contradict the great tenderness and kindness of God that has been revealed to us in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, one final thing, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Um, this, is, this is related to what Brother Terry has uh, what he said about uh, consequences happening and, and people receiving their consequences for their actions. C.S. Lewis actually uh, talks about this in, in uh, he's talking about hell, but really it applies to judgment in general, okay? So I just want to leave you with his, his words on, on the doctrine of hell. And this is really what I'm saying with Romans 1, maybe with Luke 19, we're talking about with Jesus, people, people who are receiving consequences who have said to God, leave us alone, right? In the long run, the answer to all those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question, what are you asking God to do? And he says the doctrine of hell, we could talk about the doctrine of judgment generally. Okay? What are you really wanting God to do? And here he's talking about us, us today, to wipe out past sins at all costs, and at all costs to give them a fresh start, to give people a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty and offering every miraculous help. But he has done so on Calvary. To forgive them, they will not. They choose not to be forgiven. To leave them alone, alas, I am afraid that is what he does. So what I want to say to you, again, I, I realize we've just thrown a lot of stuff out there, and, and there's a lot more that needs to be talked about. Maybe we ought to have a class session devoted to this or, or a longer period of time to study. But what I want to say to you is that God can be trusted in his kindness and his goodness, and don't, don't ever let go of that. And when you're reading difficult passages, don't let go of the face of Christ who shows us who God is. There is judgment. We take the scriptures seriously where they talk about judgment, but we try to understand that well in light of uh, the overall witness of scripture. And we always come back to looking at the glorious face of the Lord Jesus Christ to understand everything. Uh, if I can have the praise team come on up. We have a song right now. And uh, let, me, let me lead us in prayer as they come up. Lord, we thank you for the revelation, for the full revelation from the Old Testament to the New Testament that shows us your wonderful heart. Give us understanding. Where we lack clarity, give us clarity, Lord, so that we don't lose sight of how great you are. And give us an appropriate fear of the Lord that wakes us up from our rebellion and our sin. But give us a rest in your gentleness and your tenderness that can carry us into the depths of your heart and lead us to the heights of obedience. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.